following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. Thank you for singing with us this morning. Um, I hope you're doing well this morning. Uh, Before we get into our text, though, I do have one really quick announcement. Um, Real quick, real quick. I have two predominant ministry focuses this year. Just two. Uh, Two main focuses. One is preaching. So I get the great incredible privilege, opportunity, the wonderful task of wrestling with God's Word, studying God's Word, the incredible task of preaching God's Word. How incredible is that? We are a church who are committed to Scripture. I'll put it like this. We're committed to being a church that doesn't come together to gather to hear the thoughts of any man but that we are a church committed to come together, to gather together, to hear God's thoughts from his word. And what a privilege that I get to do that. So that's first preaching. But the second focus that I have this year is prayer. Prayer. We are a dependent people. We are a people dependent on Christ, not only for salvation, not only for the forgiveness of our sins, praise God for that, But we are a people dependent on the Lord, dependent on his spirit to live, to move, and to have our being. We are dependent personally, that the Lord would move in our lives personally. But beyond that, we are also a dependent church collectively. We are dependent upon the Lord. We are a I'll put it like this. A praying church is a dependent church. A praying church is a church that believes, truly believes that our God is real, that we're not wrestling with just flesh and blood, but we we are in a spiritual battle. A praying church realizes that apart from Christ moving, we have nothing. But because Christ is moving, because Christ lives, because we are indwelled by the Holy Spirit, we have nothing everything. We are dependent people. Because of this, the Lord has been deeply convicting me, drawing me to prayer. More than that, drawing me to call our church to prayer. So I want to invite you, because of all of this, to join with me in this. The first Tuesday of every month, starting March in March, we are going to gather together for prayer. Now, I know, culturally, prayer gatherings are the lowest attended things that the American church ever does. I know that. I know that. Um, I know that prayer gatherings are not the most attractional thing that I could be inviting you to up here on this stage. Um, It's not the most attractional thing we can be doing. Um, I get it, but... Here, don't take this the wrong way. I think I'm allowed to say this. If not, forgive me. I don't care. I'm not doing this for numbers. I'm not doing this for growth. I'm doing this because this is what God's people do. I cannot wait to start 
gathering together regularly, consistently, and visibly as the church. And I want to invite you to be a part of it. We are working right now to secure a location. As soon as we do, I'm going to let you know. Um, but we are also wanting to go all in on this. And I know we don't typically provide childcare for things, um, not often here at Stone Oak Bible. Um, but listen, we want to remove as many obstacles as we can possibly remove. So we want to come together and, and provide childcare to give everyone, no matter the stage of life you're in, the opportunity to come together, to gather together, to pray as the church, as God's people. And I hope, I hope you will join me. I hope. Um, what does scripture say? Where two or three are gathered? I'm okay with that too, though. <laughs> but this is an invitation to our church to come together and to pray. So that's it. Let me uh, jump back in now um, to our text. If you have your Bibles... Would you grab them and would you turn with me to Genesis chapter 21? Genesis 21. Uh, this is a huge moment in our text, uh, just absolutely massive. And, and I want us to try to wrap our minds around this just a little bit, um, around what's going on here. So in Genesis 12, if you remember, God came to this man who was 75-ish years old. Uh, named Abram at the time, will come known as Abraham. And he gave, them this, he gave Abraham this huge promise, this wonderful promise. He says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless all the nations through you, and I'm going to make you a great nation. Now later, God would unpack that a little more and show Abraham, I'm going to bless you with offspring. And look up at that night sky you can't even count those stars. That's how your offspring are going to be. What an incredible promise. It's unbelievable, especially considering the fact Abraham was 75 years old. Sarah was, at this point, around 65, and they were barren, unable to have children. But God gave them a promise. God made a promise. Then Abraham, if you remember, believing God, believing that God was going to do what he promised to do, Abraham obeyed, leaves his hometown, and starts out on this journey. But then this crazy thing happened. Year went by after year after year after year. And I don't know if you've thought about, I know we've talked about this before, but can you imagine being in that situation? I don't know if you've ever prayed to God for something for a really long time. Like, a really long time. Uh, you know, a year. Just pleaded for God, would you show up, would you do this? And you've pleaded with, with God for a year, and you've waited for a year. Two years? Three years? Five years? Ten years? years? Um, we have kids in the room. How many are 10 or younger? Okay, most of us. That means it's longer than your whole life waiting for God to do what God told you he was going to do. That is such a long time. 10, 10 years. How about 12 years? 15 years. God, you promised 
I was 75 then, and that's crazy. I'm pushing 90 now, and that's real crazy. Where are you? 20 years, 25 years. We can read Genesis, and in our Bibles, it may only be 9 to 10 pages that spans this story. But those pages represent 25 years of waiting, 25 years of trusting God's promise more than trusting our eyes. 25 long years. Now, as we will see, Abraham and Sarah didn't exactly, I'll put it like this, they did get impatient, try to do things in their own way, take matters into their own hands just a bit. Um, but 25 long years of waiting. Uh, we read in 2 Peter 3.9, it says, The Lord's not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but patient. Woo! You have to imagine that this waiting time would have been confusing. Just so confusing and unexplainable to the world around them. Just so confusing. But Abraham believed God. I want to read this to you. Uh, this, you don't have to turn with me here, but this comes out of Romans 4. Talking about Abraham. It says, in hope he believed against hope. That he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so your offspring shall be. He did not, this is Abraham, he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old. That's a really, don't call old people as good as dead. The Bible can get away with it. You cannot. Or when he considered the barrenness of, his, of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith. As he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. What a text. Abraham believed. He did not weaken in his faith, even when he considered his, his ripe old age. Even when he considered his wife's age. Verse 20 says, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. What a statement, not even after 25 years. So Romans says Abraham grew strong in his faith, gave glory to God. And I love the words Romans use, fully convinced. Fully convinced, fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised to do. Now, as I said at the beginning, our text is, is a big one. Um, so with that as our backdrop, let's jump in to, to Genesis 21. After 25 years of waiting, of hoping and believing, Abraham now is um, nearly 100, Sarah now nearly 90, and finally we see God is going to do what he promised to do. Listen to this, verse 1, the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and just take this one in, and the Lord did to Sarah what he had promised. The Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. The Lord did what he promised to do in his perfect timing, in his perfect way, in his perfect plan. The Lord did exactly what he promised to do. And I just want you to hear me, church. The Lord always does what he promises to do. 
always, because our God is a promise-keeping God. This is true for Abraham and Sarah, and it's true for you because our God has not changed. Do you know, do you feel that God keeps his promises? All of them. He always does, no matter the obstacle, timing, or what other people's say or think. Every time the Lord does what he promises to do, at all times, every time, this is our God. Now just, as we think about that, that statement could be really profound. Or we could kind of hear that and think, that's cool. Thumbs up. I think it's pretty great. The realization of the statement God keeps his promises, hear me, it doesn't fully set in. It cannot fully set in until you and I actually know what it is that our God has promised. Uh, Let me give you a couple examples. John, in 1 John 2.25, he's speaking to believers here to the church, and he says, and this is the promise he, that is God, made to us, eternal life. Just an example here. If you hear it, God has promised us eternal life in Christ. So let me say it again. God keeps his promises. Every one of them. Let me give you another example, sticking with John. John uh, 1 John 1, 1.9. If, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Your God has promised to forgive you of your sins if you confess them. And again, our God keeps his promises. One more. This one's really practical. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. What an incredibly practical promise that one is. That we know that God will provide, always provide, a way of escape for each and every temptation that we face. What a promise. What a promise. And God keeps his promises. Listen, there are books written. There are about the hundreds of promises that we have in Scripture. And they're phenomenal and they're rich. To, to just read them as we dig in. But knowing these promises, they matter. They, they matter. Holding to these promises matter. Believing these promises deeply matter to us because we are a people of faith. We are a people, a community of faith. And our faith is built on a promise. The promise of our God, the promise of the gospel, we are a people of the promise. And again, God always keeps his promises. And here, verse 1, the Lord did to Sarah what he had promised. Let's continue. Verse 2, and Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him. Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. 
having kids are a young man's game. Not here. Nope. And Sarah, who was now 90 years old, said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears me will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet, yet, I have borne him a son in his old age. There is something deeply human about this story. You can almost sense the wonder and the, the joy leaping off of this page. Only a few previous chapters ago, Sarah was caught laughing in unbelief. <laughs> yeah, right, that can't happen. And now here as the Lord shows up, now Sarah is laughing again, only this time it is in complete joy. It might be unbelief, but it is a laugh of that is unbelievable. And, and not only this, but you, can, you have to imagine that Sarah was at the end of a lot of jokes over the last 25 years of her life. Um, Baron, 80, 85, 90-year-old woman, believing and claiming that she was going to have kids and they were going to outnumber stars. From the age of 65 to the age of 90, clinging to this promise. Yet now, in this scene, she's no longer the end of the jokes. If you notice in this scene, it is people coming around her laughing with joy over her and around her. You get the sense that they're just overwhelmed when they think about what God has done, how beautiful and incredible, how relatable. Now, I'm not saying that many of us can relate to birthing a child at 90. Not what I'm getting at. What I am saying, though, is that many of us, I guarantee, have been in a moment when we have cried out to God and prayed that Psalm 13 prayer of how long, O Lord? How long will you forget me? How long will you turn your face from me? I, I don't know how many have been there. I have been there. For anyone who has ever prayed that kind of prayer, cried out to God to come through, to pleading with him to intervene. And then for anyone who has ever had the great joy of seeing God intervene. Answer the prayer. It's, it's difficult to even express that kind of joy, yet that is exactly what's on display here. Our God keeps his promises, and we are a people of the promise. But our text is not just a story of great joy. It's not only a story of great encouragement, it's also a bit of a cautionary tale. Because our decisions and choices have consequences. And at times, painful consequences. Now, they don't negate the promises of God. However, our decisions can cause pain, and that's exactly what we see here. I want you to continue with me here. Listen to what happens. Uh, verse, verse 8. The child grew and was, was weaned, and, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. So, but Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. 
So she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son, Isaac. Now, just for a bit of context here, if you remember back in chapter 16, Sarah was a little tired of waiting. Um, They'd been waiting around 10 years and grew a little tired of waiting, and she concocts this plan. And she says, hey, look, Abraham, um, see my servant Hagar? Go marry her and have some kids with her. You get the sense that she believed God for the destination, the outcome, that they were going to have kids. But you get the sense that in this moment, Sarah said, well, I might need to help you out. You seem to have missed You seem to be missing on that window. So I'm going to help you out. I'm going to lend you a hand. I'm going to give you some assistance. They they believed God for the destination, but struggled tremendously to believe him on the journey they were on. And so the plan was made. And this plan included Abraham marrying Hagar, having a child named Ishmael with Hagar. What could possibly go wrong? Whew. Again, church, how relatable is this? And again, not the polygamy part, not what I'm talking about here, hopefully. Um, But how relatable is it when we pray to God in those times when God just doesn't answer our prayers in our timing or in our plan or in our way, the way that we were hoping? And how often do we try the same thing here? that Sarah does. We try to help him out a little bit. We try to assist him because he obviously needs it a a little bit. So often we try to do that and we can even justify terrible decisions in order to do that. It's like we buy the lie that whatever the means are, they're justified because the end. Wrong. Before any of us judge Sarah here, let us first recognize how relatable this temptation is. First recognize that most of us would have done the very same thing because patience is hard. And as we said, our decisions, our choices have consequences and at times they are painful. And let's continue reading verse 11. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son, But God said to Abraham, be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also because he is your offspring. Now you can just see the brokenness and the complexity that these decisions have brought on this narrative. Abraham here is torn, but even in this mess, God is gracious and and promises to bless and protect Ishmael. So verse, verse 14, so Abraham rose early in the morning, took bread and skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child, who was likely probably around 14 years old at this time. So just get that scene, mother, 14 year old ish. So along with the child, and sent her on her way, and she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. And before we read this next portion together, I just want to say it again. Our decisions, our choices 
have consequences, and at times they are painful. And what we are about to read is heartbreaking and painful. For anyone who reads this, there is a deep injustice here in this text. There is a blatant effect of sin on display here, and our hearts should break for Hagar and Ishmael as we read this. Verse 15, when the water in the skin was gone, she put her child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off about the distance of a bow shot, for she said, let me not look on the death of the child. As she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. Listen, I'm not a mother, but for any mother in this room, can you even imagine this scene? They were in the wilderness. They had just been excommunicated from their community. They were rejected and alone. And I want to be very clear here, Hagar was victimized. She was exploited and used. And yes, she was not perfect in this scene. She was not. And I get that, but she was exploited. When there was no longer a need for her, when she became a conflict, she was discarded. And it's just horrible. It's not okay. I want to be clear here on something. As we progress through Genesis, we're going to see this a lot, but there are times when the narrator of our text, the writer, is going to tell the story and not make a definitive statement about the morality that just was on display. It's like he's going to tell the story, move on. There's not going to be a statement that addresses the brokenness of this. And, And I want you to hear me. That does not mean that our God is neutral about it does not mean it's okay. It's not okay. It's never okay to victimize another human being. Jesus says, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Let us not assume that silence in this scene equals approval. It doesn't. This is brokenness on display here. Um, And like I said, we're in Genesis, and we're going to see this many times play out in our text where we're going to read things, and all of us are going to go, ugh, but it's not going to say anything about the ugh in the text. That doesn't mean it's not ugh, all right? Silence does not equal God's approval. And our hearts should break as we read this story. Abraham and Sarah's actions, as they try to take this into their own hands, that choice has now affected other people and brought on a lot of pain and hurt to a mother who is now in our scene from here to the back of the room. Her child's under a bush and she's afraid the child's gonna die. But again, God keeps his promises. He told Abraham in verse 13, I will make a nation of the son. So God says, look, Abraham, I will bless them. I will protect them. And here God keeps his promise. Verse 17, and God heard the voice of the boy, praise God. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy. Hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. I've always wondered about that. I'll leave it. That's a rabbit trail. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. 
And God was with the boy and he grew up. Again, God keeps his promises. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. And he lived in the wilderness of Paran. And his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. God keeps his promises. And one more thing before we tie this together. Um, we've said this already, but our choices and decisions have consequences. Perhaps no greater example in all of scripture than this text. If we zoom out um, from this and, and we look back on this scene through the lens of history, we are able to see quickly the division and the hurt and the destruction that can trace its origins back to this story. Let me give you a quick example. The clash and division between Islamic belief in history and Christian belief in history can trace much conflict back to Genesis 21 in this story. For example, according to Muslim belief, it is Ishmael, not Isaac, who is the promised chosen heir through whom came the prophet. It is Ishmael, not Isaac, who is the prophet. It is Ishmael, not Isaac, through whom Muhammad came. Now, this narrative has had profound ripple effects that we don't have time to get into this morning. If we did, we would be here for a very long time. You would miss the Super Bowl, and I would miss a plane. We're not going to do that. Here's my, here's my point, though. What has happened in this narrative, the decisions that were made here, have had profound effects. And let us be careful when we feel the temptation to take things into our own hand. Our God keeps his promises. He is completely able, and our call is to trust in him and walk in faith. Now, with that said, I'd like for us to really dig into, drill down into three really important things that we see in this text. And the first one is this. God will keep his promises in his perfect timing and plan, not yours. God will keep his promises every time in his perfect timing and plan, not yours. If it were left up to Abraham and Sarah, they would have had Isaac 20 plus years ago. I mean, God, you promised them they're not getting any younger, and the timing of this was so confusing. I mean, they could never give any kind of explanation for this delay. I mean, it wasn't like here in chapter 21, God comes and says, you know what? Let me show you what was going on. And it's not like we read in chapter 21 that they're like, oh, I get it now, God. I get why you made us wait for 25 years. I get it. I understand now. It wasn't like God came and said, trust me, I know this is going to seem like an insane long time. Trust me, I have a reason. He didn't. He didn't. There was nothing, there was no reason given for the delay in timing. And the truth is that this timing was not what they thought it should have been. It's not what they thought it would have been. And so often, God's timing is just not ours. It's just not. We pray and we cry out to him and we wait and we wonder, how long, O Lord, will you forget me? How long, O Lord, will you turn your face from me? And God looks down in his sovereignty and simply says, wait. 
I have a plan. I have a time. And by the way, you may never understand my plan, and you may never understand my timing. I think about Job. Do you remember Job? Crazy book of the Bible. Love it. Um, But Job, you see, when we read Job, we get this big picture, and we see God's handprints, his hand working that whole thing. We read it and we say, of course, Job, just trust. I mean, look at what we see, right? We are able to see it. But for Job, who journeyed through all of that, Job was never told why. Job was never given an explanation. Something I think about is we, Job starts with us getting a scene of, of the heavenly throne room when God was kind of bragging on Job. We see that Job was never told that. He went through this whole thing and had no idea what God was doing in, in the big scheme of things. Had no idea. Job had no idea and he was never told I think just like Abraham, Abraham was never given a why or an explanation for the delay. But God had a perfect plan. And as much as this pains me to say, mainly for me, he is under no obligation to tell you about it. He has a plan, he has a timing, and he is not under any obligation to tell you about it. All we know is that our God will keep his promises in his perfect timing, in his perfect plan, and it is perfect. In his perfect timing, in his perfect plan, not ours, and so we trust him. That's the first thing. The second thing that we see here is God will keep his promises through his means, not yours. Now, as we look at Abraham and Sarah, we see them with this belief in God for the promise being, being fulfilled. They believed in him for the destination. But they came up with a plan to get there on their own means. Notice we didn't see a scene when Abraham and Sarah in chapter 16 came before the Lord and said, Lord, we are thinking about approaching Hagar We're going to bring her into this mess. Is that wise? Should we do this? Should we go that route? We don't see that. We don't see that playing out. Do you want us, Lord, to approach Hagar? Sounds crazy. We don't read that. But instead, Abraham and Sarah took their means in their own hands. And they were going to make this thing happen. Listen, we can trust God in the destination. We can... We can trust God in the destination, that he is going to come through on his promise. But church, we can also trust Christ for the steps along the way, for the journey he has us on, for the means that he is going to use to accomplish it. God had a plan, and he didn't unpack that whole thing with Abraham. He, how different, by the way, would it have been if God in verse in chapter 12, would have come and said, Abraham, here's the plan. I know you're 75. I know it's a little weird, but you're going to have a kid in about 25 years. That would have changed everything, right? But that's not what happened. See, God had a plan, and God revealed the destination, but he didn't reveal the journey that it would take to get there. Instead, it was a call to faith. It was a call to trust. 
not only in the promise of God that would be fulfilled, but to trust in the journey, the day-to-day walk with the Lord. And how relatable is that? How relatable is that? You know the Lord has a plan. You know the Lord has a destination for you, but he doesn't give you steps one, two, three, four, five. He, He just doesn't. Instead, his desire is to lead us step by step to lead us step by step, and he calls us to trust him step by step, and that is sweeter than knowing steps one, two, three, four, and five, to be able to trust the Lord. When we're wrestling with the temptation to take the matters, to take the means into our own hands. Church, we can trust in the Lord with both the ends and the means, with both the destination and the journey, and our God, by the way, is all about the journey step by step. So God will keep his promises in his timing, in his plan, and in his means, not yours. So we trust him. And then lastly, God will keep his promises for his glory and not yours. For his glory and not yours. Look, there is no getting around this. A, uh, a barren couple, 100-year-old man, 90-year-old woman, unable to have kids, There is no other way to get around this. No one else could take glory for that. No one else could take the glory for the birth of Isaac but God himself. There's just no one else who could possibly receive that glory. God accomplished his plan and his will in such a way that he received all glory. And so when we trust in the Lord with his timing and his plan and his means, then we're able to give him all the glory for the answer. That is a beautiful place to be. He keeps all his promises. And through every promise kept, he reminds us of the goodness and his power. He reminds us that it's all for his glory. And we are able to point all men and women to him through the fulfilled promises in our life. What an opportunity. God wants to use your life, in other words, to bring men and women to him. To bring glory to him. If God's plan was up to your timing, if God's plan was up to your means, then God's plan would be for your glory. And it's not. It's not. Because God loves you and he keeps his promises each and every one. He keeps his promises and his timing and his plan. He keeps his promises and his means and in his way. And he keeps his promises for his glory and for his glory alone. We serve a good God. Would you pray with me? God, your word is so rich and I'm just overwhelmed at how deeply relatable and your word is, and I thank you for that. Forgive us as we read scripture and in our first instinct is to judge. Because so often we should read these, these words, these stories, and we can see ourselves and we can see our own tendencies and temptations all throughout it. And this story is not different. We are a people who struggle to trust sometimes. We know that you have, that you're good. We know that you 
have promised us eternal life. But Lord, so often we can struggle to just take the next step and to trust you. We can struggle just understanding that we don't have the full steps one through five written down. We don't. And for so many of us, that is so difficult. And this morning, my prayer for all of us is that you would show us that far better than knowing steps one, two, three, four, and five, far better than knowing all those things is to know and to trust fully in our sovereign God. And so Lord, in this, mo- in this moment, in this morning, I-, I really pray for two things. I pray one, that you would show us that you mean what you promise. That when your word says that nothing can separate us from your love, nothing, 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 that when we read that, we know that and we stand on it, that we know what you promised to do that you will do. For everyone here who is, anyone here who is struggling to wrap our minds around that, I pray that you would help us. Through your spirit, would you help us? Would you help us to know that you are a God who keeps each and every one of your promises? And for many more of us, my prayer is also that you would give us the ability to walk with you daily to trust you daily for the next steps, even when we don't know what's coming, that you would give us the confidence to lean on you, to trust in you, to stand on you, knowing that not only will you fulfill your promises then and later, but Lord, that you are with us now, that you are sovereign now, that you hold all things together now. And so Lord, because of that, I just pray that in this moment, through your spirit, you just breathe into our nostrils confidence. Confidence not in ourselves, but in you. That we would walk out of this room having our faith strengthened because we know the author of our faith, the perfecter of our faith. So Lord, we stand on that this morning. We give you glory for it. As we finish our time this morning, I pray that you are honored and glorified. We cry out to you and we thank you for being our sure and our steady anchor through all storms that we face in life. In Jesus' name.